keep up with Team USA with gig speeds over Wi-Fi from Xfinity. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Requires gig internet and compatible gateway. Gig speed Wi-Fi is shareable across all devices. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. With man gone, will there be hope for Gorilla? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of I'll Be Right Back, the RSL podcast. <laughs> Who was that? Brody, I'm trying to close. I did. You guys didn't give me time. I was trying to write you close the phone. God, we should leave that in. Two seconds in. Two seconds in. Oh, God, I hope you didn't hear that. No time. There's got to be a Hoopers episode. I can't bring these kids in. Two seconds. All right, let's try this again. Ready? With man gone, will there be hope for Gorilla? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of I'll Be Right Back, the RSL podcast, where we don't talk about RSL, only with the people that make it tick. I'm your host, Tony Beltran, and today, ladies and gentlemen, is an exciting day for me, and hopefully for you as well. Today marks the return of the RSL Book Club. If you haven't heard our previous episode, please go back and check it out. Mr. Justin Glad, Ryan Cotter, and Jordan Allen joined me in discussing Isaac Eisenhoff's iRobot. We had quite a bit of fun doing that, but today we are rotating the lineup a little bit. It is my pleasure to introduce some friends of mine and welcome a few individuals to I'll Be Right Back. So let's start with the returning members, the pride of Rochester himself, Mr. Jordan Allen. Thanks for having me again, Tom. Pretty excited. The fastest man at RSL, Jay Glad. What's going on, Tony? We have a new member welcoming to the show, Candy Andy himself, Mr. Andrew Brody. Just happy to be a part of this. <laughs> And uh, welcoming another guest, we have Brooks CR7 Lennon. Loving the nickname. <laughs> and rounding out the group, the Harriman Heartthrob, Mr. David Allen Horst. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so of course, uh, today's book is Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. This was a Matt Gash. Matt is in our media department. His recommendation, it is his favorite book, a book that he has passed out to his close friends and really anyone for a number of years. So we were very excited to read this. Um, let's start a little bit with the author before we talk about the book. So like I said, Daniel Quinn, he was born in Omaha, Nebraska on October 11th, 1935, received a bachelor's degree in English from Loyola University, though his education was delayed as for a time he sought to become a Trappist monk, and that's a form of Catholicism. Eventually abandoned his Catholic faith, went into publishing where he stayed for a time until leaving to pursue writing full time. So kind of a similar path. I'm sure you recognize that J&J to uh, Isaac Eismoff. Um, <laughs> he's best known for his book, of course, Ishmael, published in 1992, which uh, was published by winning the Turner Tomorrow Fellowship Award in uh, 91 the previous year. And this is an award that was established to encourage authors to seek creative and positive solutions to global problems which is a good way to describe the book. He became a well-known author uh, to followers in the environmental, simple living, and anarchist movements, although, interestingly enough, he does not identify with any of these groups and instead focuses on recognizing and criticizing some of civilization's most unchallenged myths. Uh, regrettably, Mr. Quinn died in February of this year, February 17th, at his home in Houston at the age of 82. All right, so that is Daniel Quinn, the author. Now let's talk about the book. So let's bounce over to Brooks. Brooks, you prepared five words to describe this novel. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, give them to me. 
Change must happen to survive. Change must happen to survive. Very good, Brooks. Uh, let's go down the line. Brody, give me your five words. Yeah, I also had five words. Mine <laughs> is uh, Nihilist Gorilla Tries Instigating Revolution. Ooh, well done. I like what, it. Uh, where's that from? What uh, web page on Google? Uh, <laughs> Straight from my head. <laughs> must, it's, uh, must be that Casa Grande education. Yeah, <laughs> University of Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Glad? Uh, humans must change to survive. Humans must change to survive. That is five words. Well done, Jay. Uh, Jordan, did you have some? I did not. Uh, yeah, I don't got five words. That's all right. Okay, well, let's move away from the five words. Well done to all three of you. Uh, Jordan, why don't you give us, uh, for the listeners out there who maybe didn't get a chance to read the book, why don't you give us a more full-fleshed-out synopsis, maybe in 60 seconds? Uh, this is on me again. Um, okay. Uh, I think this story really comes down to um, the tale between takers and leavers. Um, leavers being those who base their culture around um, taking care of the earth, um, using only what's necessary, the resources that they have, um, and then takers being more um, kind of self-described, um, more about colonization, um, really starting with the agricultural revolution um, and how that changed the world um, as we see it, as we know it, how we think about it. Um, and this book really just dives into those topics and dives into them and makes them um, as simple as possible, I would say. Bravo, Jordan. Yeah, that's well done. I think uh, it's important to identify a couple of terms right off the bat, and the two I wanted to touch on were the taker and lever definitions. So uh, you said it well, but to reiterate, lever is basically formed cultures that thrived for thousands of years before the agricultural revolution, you know, such as hunters and gatherers, herders, indigenous societies. Those cultures lived lightly and took only what they needed, as opposed to the takers, which is all of us in this room and really pretty much everybody in the present world. Um, they're people who killed or annexed those cultures and continue to do so. So those are kind of the um, two defining terms of the people discussed in this novel, right? And uh, one thing we didn't touch on, of course, is uh, who Ishmael is. So Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ishmael? And then I want to talk about this character in particular. I think it's a good jumping off point for all of us. Uh, why a gorilla? Well, I still don't know why it was a gorilla, but Ishmael is a gorilla that, you know, kind of tells the his student the history of the world exactly and his student i think they don't name him at all in the novel right he's I an believe unknown, that they don't. Un, yeah unnamed protagonist and he answers an ad in the paper he sees an ad in the paper and it's uh i'm like i don't have it written in front of me so i'm not going to get it verbatim but it's uh seeking is it seeking student to help save Change, the world save the world save the yeah. world something like that not in those exact terms and uh, gets frustrated by the ad because he's always had this inclination like that he was uh missing something in life and then goes and um, sees who took out the ad and meets this 800-pound gorilla named Ishmael in an office building in, I can't remember what city he's in. But so, yeah. So any other thoughts, boys, about why a gorilla for this character? Uh, I'll, I'll hop in, Tone. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe just because it, it's kind of relatable. Um, obviously, humans and, and gorillas are, are pretty similar. Um, and it, it, for me, it was kind of, he can see it looking through an animal's eyes and a human's eyes, kind of two different ways of looking at it. Um, and I just thought, I don't know, for some reason for me, it felt more powerful coming from an animal as opposed to a human. Yeah, I agree with you. It made sense to, uh, to not have a human break down humanity, but to have somebody, an individual, like an intelligent being, um, because we didn't, we didn't get to that point. But obviously this gorilla, Ishmael, he, um, he converses through telepathy 
I think that's right. And, uh, you know, he's, he's very intelligent. He's studied humans as they, you know, study him when he's in the zoo and whatnot and researched our history. Well, and uh, I, th- I also think that the, the gorilla has also been the closest primate to, to humans, you know, when they've taught gorilla sign language. Of course. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And you haven't seen any other animal really in the animal kingdom that has learned sign language to communicate with humans. And uh, gorilla is kind of that first animal that we have learned to communicate with. That's true. Yeah, and uh, species obviously not as intelligent as our own, but with intelligence. Uh, with yes, the high with form some of type of you know <clears throat> higher intelligence than other animals. Okay, let's pause there um, before we continue discussing why gorilla, because we have a number, another member of the group jumping in, um, who is just finishing up her duties for the day. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the table. Miss Christine Curl, the resident little sister at RSL. <laughs> KK, welcome. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's go back to uh, KK. We we're just ju- talking about, we went through the author, author, we talked a little bit about a summary of the book, and we we're now figuring, trying to figure out why a gorilla, and why is it important that Ishmael is a gorilla and not a human? Any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I just heard the tail end of what Dave was saying. It feels like um, the closest thing to our uh, level of evolution. So. They, but but still being a beast, I suppose. Sure. So like he, in his infinite knowledge, it seems <laughs> in the book, Ishmael has a lot of knowledge. <laughs> he does. Um, that that he would know the difference between like how we've evolved and then to where he still is as what we would consider a beast. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's appropriate. Um, this is actually interesting enough. Um, this is the question, and it makes sense that the author got the most his entire life, so he answered it on his website. So I'll take a second here and read that answer verbatim. So in quotes for Daniel Quinn, the point I'm trying to make in all my work is this. If we want to survive on this planet, we must listen to what our neighbors in the community of life have to tell us. So who's in the best position to speak for those neighbors of ours? One of us or one of them? Obviously one of them. The teacher in Ishmael has to be one of those neighbors, a non-human. Among those neighbors, none is more impressive and authoritative than a gorilla, which is why I chose to make Ishmael a gorilla rather than, say, a parrot or a salmon or a butterfly. If you were to ask the author of Hunchback and Notre Dame why he made the bell ringer a hunchback, he wouldn't tell you because if I hadn't made him a hunchback, there would have been no novel. The same is true of my book. If I hadn't made Ishmael a gorilla, there would have been no novel, and you wouldn't be here reading about it, um, which is very interesting and which I totally agree with because that catch of the novel kind of does grab the reader's attention before he gets into kind of the preachy portion of uh, the point he's trying to get across. So def- definitely a master stroke in terms of storytelling there. Okay, so let's, uh, let's move on. So let's just talk about the book as a whole. So Jordan, give me your initial emotional reaction after reading this book. Um, well, I think actually after the first day, so I read this in two sittings, um, and I remember the first day I came up to you and I said that this was probably one of my favorite books that I had began reading. That's right. Um, but as it kind of went on, um, the themes were a little bit repetitive, um, and it was a little bit harder to finish. So uh, my overall takeaway, I would say, is that it's a book I enjoyed. Um, the ideals behind it were very interesting. Um, and I think if you think critically um, about the ideals that were explained, um, you can get a lot out of it. Um, but I would say the first 120 pages were really the most important. Um, and from there, uh, it kind of just meandered a little bit. Sure. Um, so I'm sorry, Matt. It's not my favorite book, <laughs> um, but it's it's a, it's a good read. I'll definitely recommend it. It was oh, definitely well. an easy read for yeah. sure. Anyone else? I mean, then chime in. Initial emotional impressions, intellectual. I mean, I agree with Jordan. The first the first part of the book was fantastic, um, but like he said, the the end of it kind of 
drags on and meanders, and it was very obvious what hap- what is going to happen to the gorilla at the end of the book. Sure, yeah. And um, that was a little frustrating. They made it, you know, very obvious that this gorilla wasn't going to survive. Yeah. And uh, but I think that first half of the book is very thought provoking, and you know I think the book could have probably ended after the first half mm-hmm. with those when he presents those um, the history of the world. Yeah. And uh, we could have stopped there, and I think people would have been happy with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean I just think that it just kind of went on a little too long than what it should have. I agree. I think the book could have probably culminated in the after the portion where he's describing uh, the um, he's using imagery to describe humanity's flight. You know, when he's talking about when people were trying to discover aerodynamics and all that, that was, you know, pretty much kind of the summation of the book right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why he kept going on because, you know, you see in the foreword, he wrote like 10 iterations of this book before he got it right, before it really got prominent out there and published. Um, so this is a big deal to him. And I'm sure like, you know, this is decades worth of work and uh, that he's put into his argument about, you know, why and how he's trying to convince people to it. But for me, it felt very repetitive and uh, like, yeah, like you said, great message, obvious message, something we all know and something we need to obviously take seriously. But it was kind of just very kind of got just got beat over your head in the end. Um, If I jump back in. Yeah. um, I just thought we were talking about Ishmael, um, the character himself. And I thought a pretty interesting point in the book. um, I can't remember if it was towards the middle or the end. Um, but Ishmael himself says that he doesn't choose to learn about gorillas when he was asked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in turn, he decides to learn more about chimpanzees and humans. Um, and I thought that was just like an interesting, it was like a one line in the book, um, but I thought it was really interesting to see um, maybe a flaw in himself that Ishmael didn't see that could also be um, related to humans um, in the same way that this whole book was about, was humans not really seeing how they affect the world. <coughs> Um, I just thought that was a really interesting one little line in the book. Sure. To bring up. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like we're we're busy studying the world, mm-hmm. but we're not self-reflective. Yeah, we're not um, studying ourselves. And has the, the same problem. The cause yeah, and effect that we're having. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of his whole point in when, he, especially when he's talking about evolution, how we we're kind of hit the apex of civilization where we've evolved beyond evolution um, because we have things like science and technology, and so we've kind of. Uh, stagnated evolution because of that. Yeah, it's like the uh, we were watching uh, Jurassic Park a couple weeks ago, and there's a famous line. It's like God creates dinosaur, God destroys dinosaur, God creates man, man destroys God, man creates dinosaur. And it's kind of the same, um, same theme, same idea behind it. And dinosaur eats man. Yeah. <laughs> dinosaur destroys man. Woman inherits the earth. I didn't know where you're going with that Jurassic Park reference, but I, I like it. I thought you were going to say clever girl or something. <laughs> um, okay, Brody, give me your your initial reactions to this book. I know you had trouble getting through. Yeah, it. yeah, I did have trouble. I actually didn't even finish it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just what everybody else has been saying. You know, the first half of it, I was super engaged. I was I was loving the book. I mm-hmm. thought there were some great points being made and. Just got it. Just got way too uh, repetitive, and I just felt like I knew where the book was going. The point that the point that was made had already been made in the first half, and just kind of lost interest. Sure. Yeah. But over, I mean, overall, I loved it. Um, there was actually something very interesting uh, when they talked about population control. Almost mm-hmm. uh, the biggest thing to me was when Ishmael was saying, "If there's however certain amount of people on Earth, I don't know how many people are on the Earth. Anybody know off the top of their head?" Is it, isn't it what old, is it? I think it's like 8 billion. 8 billion, yeah. So if there's 8 billion people on the earth, there's enough food to feed 10 billion. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why, you know, people are just, they're just greedy. I mean, the taker mentality and everything. I thought that kind of, 
you know, I kind of sh- proved it to me that, wow, like that would, that's so true. I mean, that's always going to happen. No matter how many people on the earth, we're going to want more. We're not going to just take what we need. We're going to have more for, you know, later or tomorrow or whatever. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That is an interesting point. His connection to, um, the food, the abundance of food to the population and mm-hmm. how there's a correlation. If we create more food, we're just going to create more people and just continue the problem. And I was trying to think about that and I was trying to do a little bit of research in the science about that. And if that's true, I think this is the, where he's received the most pushback about what he's, uh, the message he's delivering in this novel, because um, if you think about it, I mean, a lot of the people who are affecting the world, like, you know, say, for example, live in America, obviously, because we're so spoiled here and, you know, everybody has a cell phone, this, that, whatever, and we're using a tremendous amount of resources. But there are people, you know, in the middle of Africa who are using barely any any resource or Mm -hmm. anything like that. And um, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like, Dave, do you agree that there's the right correlation there? Yeah. And... I read uh, one time I was trying to do some research on how big like my ecological footprint was on the the world. And I read a stat that one American uses the resources of 42 Kenyans. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of a a crazy stat. Like when you look at it like that and yeah, Kenya is, you know, maybe not the most advanced society, but they're still further along than a lot of other societies are in Africa and some of these other places that we consider, you know, third world countries. Sure. And just the, you know, we're really that as Americans, we're really that greedy, and just as people in general, we're, we're that greedy that we have to use that much resources compared to other, you know, societies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that we knowingly use that many resources yeah, exactly. too, oh, sure. knowing that other people have less. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's easy to uh, like we say that right now, and it's like it hits us kind of like wow, um, but it's like a surface level. Like, there's not much action. I mean, obviously, there's people out there doing great things. Um, helping other people, but it takes, it's just more about the taker mentality as a whole society that we were able to do this, um, use so many resources and feel comfortable daily. Yeah. Not um, even feel bad about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just part of our society. It's the, it's the norm. I thought, Absolutely. I thought it was interesting how he kept on bringing, bringing up mother culture, which sure. is, you know, just whispering in our ear, you can take this, you can take that. It's all yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, earth was, was made for man and I don't know. I just I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Another analogy that was just off the, or that I was thinking about was the lion and the gazelle. That's right. Where the, yeah. yeah, the lion comes and there's a, a pack of gazelles or whatever, and he takes his kill. And obviously the gazelles run from the lion, but once he has his kill, they just kind of ignore him. Um, and that's how leavers and and non-takers live their lives. Um, and it's just kind of sad to see how how that's how we are as a society. Exactly. And yeah. To talk to go on that point, I was talking to you guys about this earlier. Uh, the movie Dances with Wolves. Mm-hmm. There's a scene with Kevin Costner where he's hunting with the Indians, and they're going out to hunt um, buffalo, and they can't find. You know, there's supposed to be herds of thousands upon thousands of buffaloes, you know, out there, and they can't find them. And they come over a hill, and they just see thousands of buffalo dead. And basically, what happened was, a group of, you know, what we call modernized men came through, and just killed the buffalo for fun basically and they were just just left in there they didn't take the meat i think the only thing they took was maybe the fur mm-hmm. and uh and, and when you see that in the movie you're kind of like holy cow they just killed thousands of buffalo and left all this this meat these resources that the native americans could have used to survive sure yeah absolutely and that's i think that's the kind of the sentiment that the book does well um is it just kind of you know 
empowers the individual. You know, this is obviously stuff we all know. Like, we're all sitting here with plastic water bottles in front of us because, of course, that's what we use here, um, at a, you know, at, uh, for our club. But, you know, we all have this huge carbon footprint, but it's just kind of accepted in today's society. And that's why it's so much on the individual to go out there and make a difference. Like, I always tell people, you know, you got to speak with your wallet. And that's really kind of the only way because he, even Daniel Quinn, um, people ask him all the time, like, okay, well, you do want to do – why don't you just go be a hermit somewhere? And he's like, well, it's just not really practical in today's society. You know, being a lever in today's society isn't really practical. You can do it. You can go, like, live completely off the grid and completely off the land somewhere. But all of us becoming levers simultaneously is just unrealistic. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, it's interesting to think about our world's problems today um, if we had a lever mentality as a society. Like, if you... Uh, I think specifically, I think this is an easy one, is climate change. Um, one of the biggest, re- obviously there's people out there that don't believe in it, um, which is, I won't say it's fine, but that's their own prerogative. Um, but a huge reason that we can't um, evolve on this issue um, is because of the economics behind it and the effects that has. Um, but that's from, a t- having, just thinking about the economics first is a taker's mentality. Um, if we had the lever mentality, um, and this is a point in the book um, I think your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your filtry air filters today at filtry.com. Let's clear the air. At ADP, we work with more than 860,000 companies worldwide. That gives us a pretty good idea of how to help businesses grow stronger. Whether it's through data insights that help you make informed decisions about building a team that works better as a team. Or by keeping you ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else. Like building that better team. Grow stronger with ADP. HR talent, time, and payroll. I think this is made in the book. I don't know. I, I listen to a lot of stuff about this type of topic. Um... But um, who's to say that if all these lever cultures um, had been left alone for thousands of years, um, the type of technology that they would have created, the society that they would have created, um, and um, how that evolved would have been more from a place of taking care of the earth. Um, Just kind of something that we'll never know how that would have progressed or what the earth could have looked like. Um, yeah, he talks about that at the end of the it, book. Yeah, yeah. He, he does talk about that, you know, when the colonists came to the New World, that, you know, the Lever Society was kind of on that verge of trying to create a society with the Earth in mind. Mm-hmm. And that, we'll, like you said, we'll never know because yeah, we wiped them out. Yeah. So is it, So what do you guys think? Is it possible? Is it even possible in today's world to be a Lever? Have we come too far as a species and obviously everything is modernized? Is that even possible? Um, my initial answer, uh, my gut answer is no, there, but there has to be a happy medium where, of course, we figure out how to live in better harmony with our world and respect our world in some way. What do you guys think? And lady? Yeah, I think, um, I think the short answer is no. You know, with all like the technology and all the advances, you know, the world is, you know, there's no way that, you know, you, you couldn't take advantage of those opportunities, you know, and it's kind of goes hand in hand with the book. Like, yes, you know, we got to go away from, you know, being takers and trying to help the world, but it's, it's hard when you have so many, you know, unbelievable resources that you want to use, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So I, I would say no. KK, what do you think? 
um, this was actually kind of part of the book that I struggled with for a while because, um, like, so we start talking about over, like, overpopulation and overproduction of food and and that, like, man's number one goal is to just save man. We're not worried about any other species. We want to save man. And, like, um, at first I was like, okay, Thanos, what do you want us to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, there was, should we, like, kill I definitely half? thought about that, too. So, um, <laughs> like, should we stop progressing in medicine and technology sure. and industry and, like, go backwards? But then at the end of the book, um, like, I feel like I was kind of opposite. I, I struggled through the beginning and the middle. But then once we got to the end, I was like, okay, I guess I like where he was going. I like where he finally got to, but I just didn't like how he got there. Um, and that's for different reasons that we haven't discussed yet. But, um, but like... Yeah, so if as far as being a lever in today's society, I think you can in in so far as like um, you're not just gonna adopt the mentality that he says a taker is. Mm -hmm. Like if he's he's saying a taker is someone who doesn't care. Like well, I wrote it down. Hold on. He said that the taker is um, someone who believes that the world belongs to man and the lever believes that man belongs to the world. Taker is those who know good from evil, and the lever is those who live in the hands of the gods. Those were just two quotes that he, like, defined. Um, takers and levers. So you can be a lever if you're going to decide, like, I'm not just going to say that the world doesn't matter and that man can control whatever happens. Like, I can be a lever by saying that, like, it's our responsibility to take care of the world. And that's kind of where I, I another way that I struggled with the taker-lever whole theory is it's too black and white it's too black and white and according to him i would be a taker but that's like anytime he says like well takers are destroying the world i'm like uh, rude like <laughs> yeah no <laughs> sorry but but um but like i am a so according to him i'm a taker but i'm a taker who cares about the world i don't think that we can control the world we're a part of it it's life it's not a part of our lives you know like we need to be responsible for what we're doing on the for sure yeah um, I completely agree with you. That was a, a kind of a harsh pushback point for me as well. It was too black and white there. Mm -hmm. And also, it's it's just hard to paint humanity just with that one broad brush because, mm -hmm. like, you know, yeah, obviously we are killing our planet and a lot of mm -hmm. people out there are doing a lot of horrible things, but we're also doing a lot of beautiful things. Mm -hmm. You know, think about everything that humanity has created, you know, music, art. I mean, even the book, even the way his tool to get his message across is an art form that wouldn't have been created, mm -hmm. you know, if we didn't have this type of mentality. So that was, it was, uh, yeah, that was a little bit too broad for me. And I agree with you. It's on, it's on the individual. And mm -hmm. I'm actually, actually one of the reasons why I'm so proud to be part of this club is everybody here is very aware of that. Mm -hmm. And we're all very um, conscious of trying to take care of our environment and trying to make a difference in the small way we can. Yeah. So keep going though. Give me, so beyond that, just give me your, your impressions overall of the book. Um, so the reason that I struggled with the first part, first and middle, I guess, was um, like he starts off the theory of takers and leavers. And he, the reason he uses those, that term is he says it's like it's benign. Like it, you're not by saying taker and lever, no one gets the, like the impression that one is right and one is wrong or one is smart and one is dumb. But then he goes on to talk about how takers are destroying the earth, like, you know, and, and like they don't care and they're, you know, they, they don't know that they're doing it. So it was like. Okay, it feels like there's a good guy and a bad guy here, and um, and like takers are the ones who believe in this mythology of Adam and Eve, and and like because they've adopted that, now the earth is in ruin, ruins, and and so like as a more religious person, I was reading that kind of going like, okay, ouch, I don't know like where exactly you're going with this, like Adam and Eve 
is an important story to me and my religion, but that doesn't mean I don't think the earth is 6,000 years old. You know, like I, I understand there's a difference between, you know, just like Adam and Eve, they were created. And so now man exists and, and we don't have to care about sure. any other species. Of course. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by Dr. Brene Brown. She says, um, I don't believe that uh, faith and reason are natural enemies. I don't trust a theologian who discounts the beauty of science. I don't trust a scientist who denies the power of mystery. And I feel like that's where I, I lie, and I didn't feel like Daniel Quinn allowed for mystery in the book. Like, he, he was very much, science is it, and, and he, like, wasn't allowing there to be people out there who really believe that maybe man is the culmination of God's creation and maybe man, you know, maybe there is a purpose for man on earth that's greater than to just exist, perpetuate the species and die, you know, and for all those people and, you know, Christian, Jew, whatever, any religion that really believes that there is a high creator and, and that, like, he was, he kind of started the book by saying, well, we all know that's garbage, so let's just talk about science, and we need to educate the people who are, you know, simple, and they don't understand that they're destroying the earth by believing this. That, and and I'm, I'm obviously biased, so I, I feel like I was, I was like, offended <laughs> by the first half of the book. Like, I was really trying to be patient with it. So, but, you know, in the end, he's saying, like, we need, like, really, we just need to take better care of the earth. And he says, like, something about... Um, well, you're creative, your creators, your inventors, right? So invent something, you know? Mm -hmm. I liked that, that was really cool. Um, but it just kind of felt like he was, it was a little bit belittling, a little bit condescending on yeah. his way to get there. I kind of have a critique of that also. Like he, you're right, he was very dismissive of religion very early on, um, which is, that's what his goal was, then okay, he made that clear. Mm -hmm. um, but doing so, he didn't even dive into the scientific reasons behind why he felt, so, felt that way. Mm -hmm. Um, at all. He kind of just was very broad about why he felt the way he felt without um, giving enough reason to justify his position, I felt. Um, and I'm not someone that's religious myself, but I grew up um, in a religious background. Um, it just seemed very, um, I, I would say, yeah, condescending, I, just, I guess, is a good word. Um, um, not because that's the way he feels. If that's his own belief system, that's sure, okay. Yeah, he's um, right to it. But he just wasn't thorough enough in explaining why that was his belief system. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that makes it even more condescending because he takes it yeah. as a baseline of fact. And it got a little trickier once he got into the story. Like he went and he, he told the creation story, his version of it, and they told the story of Cain and Abel. I'm reading it going, where did you get this? Like yeah, this one, is not how we learned it. As it's related to agriculture? Mm -hmm. yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, yeah, he has the reasons of like Cain and Abel and why, why Cain, or yeah, why Abel killed and kill Abel. And like, I'm, I was just like, this is not, I don't know where, you know, what you're trying to get to. And now it just feels like you're trying to make Christians like annoyed because it was like, that's not how, it, that's not how it goes. So I don't know, you know, where, why, how would we have come to this conclusion of a culture if you're starting from that as, as the, the story we all believe. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely does. So yeah, I struggled. <laughs> so I obviously struggled with it a little bit. Dave, I feel like you're waiting to add something on that. You're no, right I was there. just going to say, to KK's point, like, you're the first guy in all these years of the earth that, you know, how many people have lived and died on this planet, and that's going to be, you're going to be the guy, you're the only person that's come up with that Cain and Abel, that Adam and Eve yeah, it theory, fits. and there's been millions upon millions of Christians that have lived and died on this earth. Sure, yeah, no, all, I agree. Like, 
it's a they're just sheep following mm -hmm. you know the story for sure yeah and it's so it, 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 like what Jordan said it's a very just broad you know the way he talks about it and, and I and I didn't know until the background mm -hmm. of Daniel Quinn mm -hmm. until you kind of gave it in the, the beginning and the fact that he did kind of study what was it that he Catholicism. studied Catholicism yeah mm -hmm. yeah Kind of like, all right, well, he, he studied it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then broke away from it. And faith. broke away from it. So he has some, he does have some understanding of a uh, background of religion. Sure. Um, so the fact that he does have that a little bit, all right, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Mm -hmm. The fact that if he didn't have a background in studying it at all, then I'd be like, who does this guy think he is yeah, just saying true. this stuff? But yeah, he did have some yeah. background, whether it was little, whether it was a lot. Is this, do you know how long he did study it for? You know, I don't think it was very long. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when I was reading about him, I, I don't think it was more than three or four years. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with all, it's you know, very astute points, and um, I felt the same way as well. It also seemed a little bit short-sighted by him, just especially if his mission statement really is to empower the entire population. It didn't really make sense to me to alienate a large, large portion of the population, because of course, you know, that's just that's very clear and uh, it's a part of human life so didn't really make sense there um, but okay I'll move on let's talk about one more thing and then we'll wrap it up let's talk about the ending so why kill Ishmael at the end Brody what do you think about that uh, Brody let's move on from Brody just <laughs> leave me out of that one <laughs> okay, you just ruined the end of the book yeah. Brody you don't know oh he died he died no way <laughs> let's be honest Brody was not finishing this book uh, Brooks, CR7. Let's. So why why kill Ishmael at the end? Um, what do you think the author's intention in doing that uh, was? I just think um, you know, k killing Ishmael the gorilla, and you know, he got pneumonia at the end, and I think it's kind of in the sense of like passing the torch almost. Exactly. Uh, I kind of felt like that. Um, you know, kind of passing the torch to the the narrator. Um, you know. And in terms of, you know, now it's your turn to teach, teach my teachings and, mm -hmm. um, you know, everything that you've learned from me is, is now you need to go teach other, other people, you know, about levers and takers and how to, you know, make the world a better place. That's, that's what I took out of it. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it, you know, makes sense. It's, I'm sure he, obviously he is the gorilla and he's now passing all this information and this job onto us. Um, that makes perfect sense. Anyone else have anything to add there? Yeah, I think Brooks, I didn't think of it that way. My initial thought of it um, was just symbolizing how that knowledge is um, disappearing. Um, it's a good point too, yeah. Yeah, but I think I, I like Brooks's take a little bit better that he was passing the torch on for somebody else to teach that, but my initial thought was it's just another example of how this knowledge is being lost among um, Which culture. plays in the, the last line of the book with Gorilla gone. I don't remember, will there be hope for man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, so, so would you recommend this book? Let's go around the table. We'll start with Dave. Um, Considering everything we've talked about after, you know, you reading and all that, would you recommend this book to a friend? Yeah, I would definitely recommend it, but I'd say you can stop at about page 200. <laughs> <laughs> okay, KK? Um, yeah, I think, um, I think I would. I, I, even though it was really hard for me to read, I, I liked reading it because it was like a, um, what's the word? Just kind of, it made me think about, you know, why I believe what I believe and and like sure. even though he's he's got like science is a powerful thing so you can't you can't argue science but it just was like well you know there there is there's still room for people to have you know faith and believe other things but that wasn't what the book was about the book was about something that was more was bigger than that and I think that the main message of the book is worth reading sure Brooksy yeah I enjoyed the book I thought um you know as we as we've all said it was an easy read so 
Um, but I think, yeah, just going through the book, it just makes you think of, you know, your, your kind of beliefs and, you know, where you stand in the world and what you've done. Um, but you know, I liked it and I thought, um, you know, I definitely recommend it. Okay. Mr. Andy. I would, you know, I would, uh, I think for the first 200 pages, it really gives the reader, um, a decision to make, you know, they have, they have because you look at you look at how you feel about the book at first, and then and then as the book went on, I started to think, oh, how do other people view this? You know, I don't want to just look at it from my my viewpoint. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, people can take this book different ways. So I think it gives gives the reader the option to, um, you know, kind of learn something new about themselves, like a different way of thinking. So I definitely would. Well said. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much in agreement with everyone else. Um, I thought the first part of the book was great, and and I would recommend it because of that. Um, and, and again, I also like the, the how you said it was a challenge to for each individual. I think I would recommend it as kind of a challenge to whoever I was giving the book to, or just get them thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but I'd probably once they finish the first two hundred pages, I'd probably just call them and be like, "Yo, this is the ending. <laughs> <laughs> I got you." Yeah, I would recommend it just uh, especially in like a book club setting like this because I think this conversation has been pretty interesting. Um, and I've, I'm pretty into these type of uh, issues or um, topics, and I recommend it to you guys. Um, if anybody that's read Ishmael, um, I'm only a few chapters into this book um, called Sapiens by Yuval Harari, um, but it's uh, kind of a more in-depth version of this. Um, gives a little bit more nuance, a little bit more scientific backing, um, so I would also throw that out as a, as a recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm in agreement with the group. I think... Uh, Especially you, Jay. This was a, a good choice for our book club setting. I think it provoked some some good dialogue between us, and you know, it's uh, it's good colloquially. I don't know if I'd recommend it to someone else. To be honest, I think it would be dependent on who I was recommending a book to. It certainly wouldn't be my first choice. Um, but I do overall have to say I obviously like the message of the book, and it's interesting to me that again another book like uh, Isaac Asimov's *I Robot*. This was written a long time ago, not that long, but '92. And it's still very, very, very much relevant today, and it seems like it could have been written yesterday. So that is interesting in that regard. Um, I also like the, pa- the part how it uses the power of story to empower its message and empower the reader. I thought that was probably the most brilliant part of the book. Um, but so I think we'll uh, – oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry, Connor. For, the, for everybody listening out there, uh, Connor Sparrow, best hair at RSL, just walked into the room. Or we're closing up this episode and it's tough with this show because of course a lot of us are on different schedules and obligations and it's uh the work day can be complex um and connor was very much looking forward to this episode and now i just feel terrible i'll have to, I'll have to re-listen Don't come come, <laughs> come on in closer to the mic connor give us real quick your 30 second impression uh of, 30 uh, second show. user review um <laughs> it was a very good very good book very well written um i definitely like the the format of the book how it was very conversational mm-hmm. uh really easy to follow along um and the, I don't know, there were, there were deep messages in there that were really easily um, understood sure. by me, at least. Um, and I don't know, it really, it really makes me think about like, how I live my life every day, like how just the small things that I do like, can, can really affect the planet and affect our ecosystem. And, uh, and yeah, and, and it really made me think that like, we belong to the world, not the other way around. Absolutely. Self-reflection, self-improvement, yeah. always a good thing. Thank you, Connor. And again, I'm sorry, buddy. It's all right. Glad um, I can catch the tail end. <laughs> Tony, I do have one last thought about sure. the book. When you, you know, when you went around and asked if we can ever go back to a Lieber society, sure. and everybody kind of said no, 
I believe that we can. Is it is it going to be the way that, you know, the way the leavers were before, living in teepees, hunting, gathering, living in mud huts, whatever it was? Probably not, yeah. It, no, it's not going to be that way. But I think you're already kind of starting to see a little bit of shift in our society today with things such as solar power. Yeah. With You're starting to see a lot of these buildings, especially in China, being built where they have, you know, a lot of greenery on them trying to, you know, uh, soak up the carbon dioxide and trying just to, to help the planet again. And I think it's going to be a more technologically advanced lever society with us taking care of the planet and living off of it rather than us, you know, owning it and yeah. making it ours. I think, you know, you're, we're slowly starting to see that shift and it's going to kind of be a new lever society with, with technology and all that. And, um, and I, I'm to just to kind of end on a positive note because I think the book was very negative towards humanity. I think that this is our next evolution in mankind of of using technology and the things that have destroyed the world previously, mm-hmm. now using those to help the world and heal the world. I agree, Davey. Yeah, that's uh, that's hopefully the silver lining. Uh, finding that perfect harmony, uh, that future harmony, is uh, is the dream and certainly very relevant and uh, needs to happen in the immediate future. So thank you, everybody, for joining me. Uh, again, this has been our Ishmael uh, by Daniel Quinn book club episode. The next book is going to be The Black Count by Tom Reese. That's uh, Kyle Beckerman's pick. And uh, before, oh, I forgot, we have to do, since we're talking about the next book, Justin Glad, I'm going to give you two clues and then really quickly give us your prediction of what the next book is going to be about. Again, called Black Count by Tom Reese, and it takes place in 18th century France. And the Black Count refers to the author Alexandre Dumas's larger-than-life father. So you're on the clock right now. Oh, man. 60 seconds. Tell us what this book is going to be about, Jay. <laughs> Jesus, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This book is about uh, this count who's in France. Um, 18th century, Tony. Um, and maybe, let's see. I just go at the top here. He is living his life, and he's trying to figure out... Uh, I don't know. Jordan, help me out here, buddy. <laughs> Come on, Jordan. Uh, I already know a little bit about it, so I can't. Dax has told me about it. He didn't tell no. me anything. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it off there. Thanks, thanks, Justin. Um, again, The Black Count by Tom Reese, the next one. And then after that, we have Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. That is Miss Christine Curl's pick. I'm very excited about that pick. Um, it is a little bit, you know, of course, this is a book club, so it's about a melding of worlds. And this is something just like Ishmael that I would have never read if someone like you did not recommend it to me. So I'm excited really to read, read that. So if you hate it, it's not oh, I'm sure, I'm sure I won't hate it. I'm sure, we're all, I'm sure we'll all love it. I love it. Um, excited to read that. Thank you, KK, for, for participating. And thank you, everyone, for, for participating. Again, this has been uh, the second episode of the RSL Book Club, and I'm Tony Beltran. I'll be right back. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's, I'm loving it.